Hi, it's Michael, the host of Impact Hustlers. And before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you get any value out of the episode today, please consider sharing it with a friend who would benefit from it. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. We're an independent podcast and are investing a lot of time and effort in publishing inspiring new episodes every week. We can only do this because of people who support us. And now there is an easy way to do so. You can give us a small tip or a regular donation to make sure we can keep going. Every penny is invested into making the podcast even bigger and better. And you can do so on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers thanks very much for your support thanks for listening and let's get into the show impact hustlers the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems impact hustlers is brought to you by fast forward 2030 and real changers visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact and this is your host michael shafrat In today's episode, I talk to Jocelyn Cardi, founder of Recycle Lebanon. Recycle Lebanon is a social change and circular economy hub with the goal to collect and visualize data on waste elimination, reduction and recycling, as well as provide access to more sustainable ways of living and raise awareness around the waste crisis in Lebanon. Jocelyn recently joined as a member of the board of Fast Forward 2030 in Lebanon, and it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you. You say that Lebanon is in a permanent state of waste emergency since the 1975 to 1990 war. What do you mean by that? How does it show in a country? What's the problem with waste in this country specifically? I think when you look at emergency, you have to look at prevention. And when we say this, we look at the history of Lebanon and what we may be facing as a global and local waste crisis plays a particular role in Lebanon because we may be facing a waste emergency, but we also have a waste solution. All right. And how do the solutions look like? You have a number of different programs that you run with Recycle Lebanon. How are you set up and what do you do? What are the different initiatives? Part of the solutions look at developing Lebanon a circular economy forward. So what I tend to say romantically is Lebanon has a traditional circular economy. But if we were to really nationalize that through the government across the value chain, we could see a huge reduction of waste and spread the positivities around what really encompasses our waste crisis. If we were to dissect our waste, we have about 60%, which is organic waste which if you are in another country, that is a goal to reach. And that's already where we're at. So we don't necessarily need to adopt international standards of incineration, which we know don't work, which is what is being sold to Lebanon. So we also are currently taking the waste and dumping it directly into the sea for coastal landfilling. So it's just trying to look at the waste crisis and saying, why are we really in this state of emergency? And what is it that we could be preventing it and how come that's being stopped? And this is where the base of the NGO name came about is to recycle Lebanon, to recycle the system. So not necessarily from the trash, but this system change and linking this system change to also what is happening globally, because we are a playing field for geopolitics and we feel quite 
closely what is happening around the world directly in our lives. And when you look at waste, you have to look at the story of waste and petroleum's link to the wars in our region. When we are talking about the plastic ban, that's something that we feel, you know, from a refugee to a climate refugee. We feel that in both ways. Mm, you will see these problems immediately pop up here quite quickly. And I guess what you're saying as well is that the solutions that might have worked in other countries um, based in the UK, right, like copy pasting them here won't really work. Not only that, but actually the solutions that do work are copy pasted from here. But we don't recognize that yet. So if you look now, Tesco is running a campaign to reduce the single use plastic from the produce section. Our produce doesn't come with plastic. It comes directly from the farmer to the market. We are already a step ahead of this. And if you look at Berlin, where they are promoting the zero waste store and making it a global trend, the importance of bulk shopping and refill shopping, that also originated from our region. So you can go anywhere today and still find bulk and refill grains. Our issue is that we're putting it in plastic. Before we didn't put it in plastic, but now we put it in plastic. So when the government comes and says, oh, Justine, you know, this dream of yours, it needs a hundred years. I say, we were doing this a hundred years back. So it's not in a state where we need to teach people a new way. We just have to remind them of the way that it used to be done and merge that with new technologies that are sustainable inside of a circular economy. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some examples. You're involved actually in a lot of initiatives, like it's uh, almost overwhelming to look at your website, see all, everything that you do is really great to see. Maybe let's talk about one of the examples. Just before this podcast, you told me about your initiative to put these collection points for cigarette butts, basically, so people don't throw them on the streets, which I think has a lot of negative effects on the water, for example, as well. But then obviously, it's just plastic, right? So you have an initiative where you make sure these are collected, and then you work with a company that makes surfboards out of them. Tell us more about that. And maybe another example of work that actually has an impact that you're doing. Yeah, so this again links to me about the global crisis. And if we want to talk about plastic, we want to talk about Lebanon has, you know, 97% microfiber plastic inside our water at source globally. This is a big number. We're, we're thinking, you know, where's that plastic coming from? Is it coming from the air? Is it coming from the runoff? I mean, this is at source. This is not the quantity inside the sea. And when you look at cigarettes, Lebanon is the world's third largest consumption of cigarettes. But you also have to look at our tobacco industry and the restrictions that are placed on selling locally farmed tobacco versus selling your packaged in plastic wrapper with a plastic filter with a really mixed bag of tobacco, which isn't pure. And this really struck me when I made the campaign, move your butts, hizzletisko. You know, I always like to play a little bit on the words. So the idea to really recycle the cigarettes for me was this is plastic. But it wraps so much more in it. If we're talking about a plastic bag ban, how many plastic bags are inside the outer wrapping of the cigarette pack? How many cigarettes are we really throwing away? But where did that need to throw away the cigarette come from? So whether you do or don't smoke, you are kind of having your first entrance into this throwaway society because it's just a natural flick. It's this tosser culture. And my grandmother had a tobacco factory which is now Jamal Restaurant in Batroun. So it always just really dawned on me, you know, what was that corporate responsibility when we shifted from local farm production of tobacco to the conglomerates 
and the story of waste or products that are really designed to waste. So the reason why we are now working on making these into surfboards is because I wanted to bring that full circle and talk about the sports industry and how they're designing products for the community that are really environmentalists and nature lovers and really in touch and grounded with the outdoors. But a lot of the products that we consume from yoga pants to fleece jackets to sunscreen cream are really embedded in what actually harms the environment. And so if I could make an example out of the cigarette butts and to surfboards, then it could just kind of click a story together to show this loop of how much styrofoam is being used inside surfboards and how, you know, styrofoam needs to really be banned. I mean, this is what our fishermen are still using and our fish are eating the styrofoam and we are eating that fish. So I have here also a sample of styrofoam to show you that is made by Mushtik and it's a Lebanese startup from Muzak and Agritech and it takes mycelium and it combines it with agricultural and food waste. And that's again where you look at the positivities in the country and go, oh yeah, you know, we do have a lot of food waste. And we have a lot of agriculture waste and that's a positive. How can we redesign the products that are working on the positives instead of coming and building an incinerator and trying to burn it and increasing the amount of fibers and air pollution that would be increasing our rank on the pollution index, the cancer index? We are on the map. But for a lot of destruction to the environment, but we could be on the map for a lot of change too. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And let's talk about some of the other initiatives. I think you also mentioned that you have this project where you want to build an eco-village or sustainable village inside the city. Tell us more about that and where you're at with that right now. What's the purpose of it? So the aim is building a circular village that gives you access for off-grid community living inside the city. So it has art residencies, it makerspace, and the makerspace focuses on artisanal crafts, you know, downcycling plastic into materials that aren't used for food and beverage, but also a biochemistry space where you can really work on food packaging redesign. If we want to look at the bulk of the packaging or products, it lies in the hands of food and beverage sector. But beyond just the makerspace, it's a healing arts platform. So Maybe it's a better way to describe it as a hub that's encompassing the four programs that create what is Recycle Lebanon, which is Regenerate Lebanon. So Regenerate Lebanon focuses on data visualization, but also bringing together what is this community. So especially if you take, for instance, who are the people that are working in permaculture and water and having a space for them to build this community in the middle of the city so that they themselves are showing the example of this off-grid living. So if you can go with me on a journey now and just imagine the space, it has green roofs, a green walls, a place where you can really come and eat fresh food from the garden that different community members are helping to grow and build. It's also a part of the EcoSouk project. So it has the EcoSouk, which is the zero waste shop and the maker space, but also the zero waste grocery and kitchen and having a pharmacy lab inside of there. So you're able to really get your hands into the making, which I think is really quite important. So we're going to see a phase where we're going offline and away from this digital change. And we need a place where we can make that as a physical change. And then our third program in Recycle Lebanon is Roots Academia. And Roots Academia works on the education and awareness. So we will have a place that works on performance theater and a workshop space and 
merging that then with Dive Into Action, which is our fourth program, which works on advocacy and volunteering and legislative work. So all of this comes together to combine, to create what is the circular village, but it's built by the community. All right. So you, you're working with the local community that's already living in those areas. Yeah, uh, but also uh, from well. who we're mapping out through Regenerate Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So the community is also built by finding them throughout the projects and giving this as a living space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great to hear. When are you planning to open that? I've been planning to open this since the For start. Like <laughs> yeah, so we're now working with the property. So one thing to note is that I've done this quite unfunded to remain independent, but also to see in creating a new system, how far can I push myself and others within the community to see how sustainable can you design a project when you are not being fed or creating this source of income? How can that really be created internally? And so the location we're searching for now would be without rent. Hmm. And we're quite soon on closing this deal, which would mean that our construction of it starts in the summer hmm. for August. Mm -hmm. So you made quite a conscious decision to run this as a nonprofit. How do you look at trying to develop business models where you kind of have a more profit focus and then kind of reinvest the profit and having a bigger impact? That's something you've thought about or are there downsides to that approach for what you're trying to do? Absolutely. So we're a non-government organization and the projects can create the profit. And that's the key is that that profit does help to sustain the projects and to continue to build more programs out of this and to help the community forward from these profits, but not necessarily as a for-profit business where, you know, I took this conscious decision because people said, you can just lose yourself all this hassle and just do this as a business. But for me, the essence of it isn't a business. And I want that to really resonate from when you enter into our approach. Mm. But you do actually enable a lot of businesses out there, right? Absolutely. Uh, like the EcoSook, it's not all run by you, but you actually have partners that run this and that can... Members. Or so, or members, members that, Absolutely. that run this. And obviously the same with the surfboards, right? Absolutely. Uh, that there is actually business being created all around you that you enable to, to Absolutely. do Absolutely, but this is the key. This is the key is to find a way of how you can feed each other hand in hand. And so the project of EcoSook, a program inside Recycle Lebanon, what we've done now, today is our two month anniversary of opening the Middle East's first EcoSook, which is a circular hub. It's a zero waste shop, but we also don't have a rent in this shop. And our uh, member inside Recycle Lebanon, Nariman Hamdan, she's the shopkeeper and she's there every single day from 10 o'clock till 7.30 manning the shop. And she hosts the Eco Soup there. So she has a rent that is covered from her from an old rent. And we give her a commission from Recycle Lebanon on the sales of the Eco Soup. So I think being in a position of trying to develop a new system and looking at what can you do if you don't have anything really pushes a way forward instead of saying, you know, well, I, I can only do this if my business plan works out, if the numbers work. But when you're in a state of emergency, the numbers aren't going to work or the opportunities aren't going to come. And you have to find a way that through war, you don't stop. And that's really my aim is how can we create a system? that we can't be stopped and that money isn't the way forward, but it's a tool for it. So now I'm ready for partnerships. I'm ready for investments, but I really wanted to see how much could I push myself to the point where I know what is capable of being produced from me alone, from the community working together with me. And now once we are funded, imagine what we can do. That sounds great.
I think you've been up and running for, is it nine years? Is that right? Four years. Four years. Okay. Yes. I think I trusted and LinkedIn a lot to look at this number. But, well, I've been, uh, I've been, been active. You've been active yes. in the space for a while, yes. but then now properly running for four yes. years on this. Okay, perfect. And what are some of the biggest achievements in that time you think that are worth highlighting that we haven't highlighted yet? Mm. I think it's information. Mm. I think information is key. I think we're in a place where we have a lot of information, but getting that information out in bite-sized pieces that are across all audiences and able to really present the story as it is instead of being washed is quite key. I can say that both locally and internationally. You know, on a local level, it's really trying to spread that information, but also globally, if you look at the story of plastic and the circular economy I was reading today, you know, the art of war and resistance. Mm. You know, here we think we're resisting. Well, resistance isn't really a positive. It's not that I want to resist. I want to flow. But when we think of resistance and we think of petroleum, it really reminds me of how this story has been taken of plastic. Let's say this plastic bottle is in the sea and greenwashing a circular economy, which really can't be greenwashed because it should ideally run on a life cycle assessment of product redesign. It's not a sustainable model. It's a life cycle assessment, but you can't dilute it, which is what's being done. Hmm. So you cannot take the plastic bottle of water, remove it from the sea as something that a positive, but then turn it into plastic fibers for synthetic threads that are being made with Patagonia and Adidas and this new model of our fast fashion being made out of synthetic but recovered clothes. That pushes us even further behind. And those are, for me, quite critical. Hmm. In, you know, what have I learned in these four years is, is the necessity to draw a red line. And if we look at, you know, the true story of recycling and if China was able to close its borders as fast as it did, corporates have to catch up. We have to redesign the products and we have to draw our red line and say, recycling isn't the answer. Recycling hasn't been the answer. And how do we recreate the system without turning this kind of blind eye to the petroleum road that is being paved across Western America with an increase in plastic that we'll never have known? Mm. None of us have known the amount of plastic that is about to flood our system. So while you've got all the countries that are working together to ban plastic, we are increasing the production of single-use plastic. And this for me has been the biggest challenge that thankfully through coalition work with Break Free from Plastic and Global Alliance Against Incineration and the circular economy model helps to shed light on. But for me, it brings a really scary space where the community is going to think, oh, th well, this is green. And so let's go for it. And, you know, Adidas is doing something great and Patagonia is doing great and they're working for the environment. We have to be very critical. We have to think system change means what? Mm. Are we following the same model of consumption for gain or are we really working on this real revolution? Mm. Let's talk about that, maybe the revolution. Like if you look at the next 10 years, What's the type of change that you want to bring about with Recycle Lebanon? What's the type of world you're trying to create? If you're mm -hmm. trying to be ambitious for the next mm -hmm. 10 years, what mm -hmm. would it be? I think the four programs inside Recycle Lebanon are, are quite ambitious that if I can achieve them in the next five years, six years would be my 10-year goal from the start of Recycle Lebanon. But really being able to scale this concept forward, not just nationally, but being able to take from Regenerate Lebanon this ability to map out and data visualize the problems, the solutions and the value chain of the actors that can make that on the ground change happen to the way of living. So 
obviously, if I was going to create a circular village and try to build an off-grid society, it wouldn't be in the city. It would be out in the mountains, starting in Basquinta in my farmhouse. But that's not the point. The point is to make this accessible. The point is to have EcoSuk in gas stations, in the back of vans, and, you know, in every kind of supermarket that you can imagine. You have access to these products and you have access to these ways of living where you are bringing back your human self into the forest and kind of breaking through this concrete barrier. And it's key for me to bring about the concrete and this link with the forest, because when we look about Lebanon and particularly this waste crisis that we're in, it's about property reclamation. And we have to look at ourselves as a property as well, from the way that we were being used as data to the way that we are being used as change makers and where we're removing our space. So for me, Really being able to achieve and scale on a grand level, these programs is my next 10 years. But after that is, I think, where the real play starts because it's set. You're in the forest. What do you hear? Amazing way to end this podcast. Thank you very much. And I wish you all the best on this journey. It's, it's great to see the impact you've already had here just by walking through Beirut. And thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.